What a great name. Tobin. Tobin. Tobin Dick, a young farmer down in the southern southern central region of Manitoba Ville, Manitoba Villa, uh, doing his thing. Um, coming back from a journalism career to the farm to farm and do journalism. Seriously interesting. Uh, talk about your first person perspective. Um, in the first person, I guess you'd say that is, uh, it's pretty wild. So Tobin, um, has come on the podcast to talk about just those two things, farming and writing and journalism. So we will get to that. Uh, this is Mahangel. You're listening to the Manitobaville podcast. Um, we're also named after the province. If you didn't see that link yet, you, uh, pay attention to that, to that link coming up. <laughs> anyway, uh, on today's show, yes, Tobin Dick, young farmer slash journalist. And before we get to that, we just want to remind everybody, visit the website, manitobaville.ca podcast, uh, subscribe to the podcast anywhere you can on any podcatcher you prefer. Um, you can go to the website to find out where we are, how to link to them and how to listen. Uh, you can also find us on social media, just, uh, search up Manitobaville. Pretty easy there. You can follow us. You can rate us, review all that stuff. Tell your friends. Okay. Tell your friends anywhere in the world. Uh, they might want to listen in. They might want to check in, say what's going on, wherever they be, wherever they may be. Okay. So we're a worldwide venture here. We are worldwide. We are big. <laughs> we are on the internet. It's, uh, anybody can be big. We may not be, well, we are, we're worldwide. So there you go. Deal with it. And if you want to advertise on the show, you can do so by contacting us at manitobaville.ca and we will point you in the right direction to make all of your advertising dreams come true. It's not hard. In fact, it might just be easy. So, uh, yeah, why not? If you're already advertising, jump on. If you're thinking of getting into it, jump on. It's all a lot of fun. And um, yeah, so we're going to get to our interview with young farmer slash uh, young journalist Tobin Dick just after... Hello, Tobin speaking. Hi, Tobin. How are you? My angel here. Good. Good, good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Still self-isolating and fight, fighting the coronavirus by my absence. I know. That is the thing. Eh? You know, you, you want to help, but kind of the best thing you can do is to not go out and help. <laughs> exactly. So, so where, are you, uh, where are you located? Oh, we're in Winnipeg. Yeah. Okay. We're in the okay. middle. <laughs> right. I saw you. Um, yeah. Like... Yeah, what so you have a podcast and yeah. talk to me a little bit about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we run uh, uh, Manitobaville. We started it a few years ago as an idea that we would um, try and connect people. And uh, so we've we've tried different things on and off, and now the virus has come up, and uh, we thought, you know, it's probably a good time to jump in and, and, and hear people's stories and see what's going on. We're not really a news outlet. We're, you know, just more of a communications 
in, in the oh, yeah. sort of the basic sense of the word. Right, right. Yeah, oh, that's cool. So, what's what's your background? You did you do this? Have you done this? Are you a journalism student? Or, or sorry, not not student now, obviously, but like uh, before. Or uh, well, I've been in the media my whole career. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so, nice. um, yeah, never never journalist. I think I don't know. I, th- I think just being curious is is better than being a journalist <laughs> these days. Uh, I, I would agree. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's easier to get facts right when you when you listen to what people say instead of trying to make them say what your editor and owner demands they say <laughs> yeah 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 i never been i didn't go to journalism school either I, yeah no i got into it through bad channels yeah you just end up having information and you just decide to put it out <laughs> you know <laughs> you know with with uh you know grown-up mentality like where we say you know the best insurance policy is just your intelligence and, that's right uh, you yeah. know gather information that people actually want out and share it and the in a you know mature way <laughs> yes yes absolutely yeah so where whereabouts are you located uh, i'm about an hour south of winnipeg close to winkler manitoba okay yeah oh. just on a, a farm just north of winkler oh so you're a farmer as well i am yeah ah so you know of what you speak yeah, I mean, I, yeah, for sure, for sure, I do it. I mean, our farm isn't huge, but it's it's certainly big uh, by, you know, it's not big by the standards here in this area, but it's big by uh, other standards. Which is about twelve hundred acres. Twelve hundred acres. So, what's that like yeah. in square miles for people out there? Good question. So, a section which is six hundred and what is the section? I think six forty. Six forty. Yeah, Six forty. So, I guess you know, close to two square miles. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's small out there. You say, <laughs> yeah. Well, there are. I mean, there yeah. are. Actually, that's. I should be careful because there are lots of farms. There's some farms that are half our size. Yeah. And, but there are farms that are five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand acres out here. So. No, exactly. Yeah, people have tended to con- consolidate over the past, mm-hmm. boy, what thirty years. I think so. Like, you know, we talk about, my dad and I will talk about, you know, his farming experience. And in the 80s, interest rates were so high. Uh, a lot of farmers were unable to make ends meet, unable to make their payments, and they'd sell off their land. Well, it was only the farmers that had a bit of, kind of, a bit more padding and a bit more resiliency. They, they could buy up those acres. And apparently, that's when a lot of, like, huge expansions happened. Uh, in the in the 80s at least that's how it's talked about so yeah you know. and, and i think a lot of kids left the farm for good too they they became lawyers accountants they moved to the cities mm-hmm. and um and yeah and then the and then the the old folks got older and older and then they just handed it off to whoever they were in our case um, my stepfather rented his land when he got out of the farming side and we got more into animals um just as uh I guess we were a mixed farm for for a good little period there, but then, yeah, the people that rented our land, they just ended up, you know, buying it, saying, "Hey, you guys can live there as long as you are there," and then, you know, that's it. And uh, so a lot of I think, yeah, it was sort of a slow consolidation process. But people left the rural areas when they mm-hmm. were eighteen and just never came back. Yeah, and now you know, expansion is hard. I mean, A, in this area, it's hard to find land for sale, uh, for sure. But then once you find it, 
it's even more difficult to uh, afford it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely, you know, expansion begot expansion. And so we haven't, my dad expanded the farm when he, when it was his, and it still is ultimately his, but uh, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 the numbers just don't, they don't pencil out right now. For, yeah. <laughs> and it's probably more of a corporate endeavor. Are there corporations or do people incorporate to manage the, you know, the whole enterprise or are there still just families that own lots of land and are operating as a, as, as a farmer? It's a mix. Like it's uh, kind of the old, the old guard, older farmers will, a lot of them have incorporated for the, you know, the tax incentives and uh, for those, those things, but they'll, a lot of them will have both. So you'll have land in your corporation and you'll have land in your personal name. A lot of people have done that. Um, Are there benefits to that? Because I often often look at that just, you know, like I I never owned a farm. So, but I, you know, just knowing all the people I knew growing up, they just own their own farm. There didn't seem to be any corporations. Then the the longer I'd been uh, dealing with things of my own and, looking at corporate entities and that I look back at the farm and I say, why, why aren't they all corporations? They have good tax incentives and the, um, what do you, what do you call it when you hand it off to your next generation? Um, like succession. Yeah. yeah. Your succession, your legacy plans seem really easy with corporations. It's just a matter of, of, uh, shares at that point. So what's the, yeah. what's the benefit to just being an individual owning a farm? Are there, does the government, um, does the government see farm ownership in a different, like, is it its own category? Uh, well, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I think it's just kind of sole proprietorship. I mean, okay. But yeah, you know, some people like this, like some farmers will like the flexibility of keeping land in their own name, keeping land out of a corporation. I mean, for me, mm-hmm. Any land that I have rolled into my corporation, if I I can't I can't really sell it, you know I I'd yeah. be, like you said I'd be selling shares, and it gets it gets a bit complicated now. If I just owned eighty acres, one hundred twenty acres, uh, in my own name, I could do whatever I wanted with it. Uh, be very mm-hmm. very easy, and some people. Yeah, I guess you know, there's a. I guess in my head too. I just as I was as I was saying what I was saying, it occurred to me that legacy or a, um, you know handing handing that that corporation off your kids can look at that skeptically because it could get handed off to anybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it could get handed mm-hmm. off to a, another conglomerate or, or yeah. anything. Cause it's all wrapped into one. Right. So yeah. Yeah. That's right. And farmers, have a, farmers have a long track record of looking skeptically at government and, and, <laughs> and big business, right? They do. They do. There are a lot of the, a lot of libertarians out there. And so we, you know, we have, yeah, a lot of yeah. So that's why they keep they keep some of it close to their chest, some of their land, just so that they feel more in control. There might be, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like we talk to an accountant, we talk to our accountant. The benefits uh, are are so vast when you incorporate and you can roll your land mm-hmm. into your corporation. Um, that it just it seems to make sense to um, what we have uh, for sure. So yeah. right now, I, I, my wife and I have a corporation, and then my, my parents have their corporation, and I mean, so well, I, I, how the succession plan will work, I don't know. Maybe it's my our corporation buying, 
shares. You know, I, I mm-hmm. don't know. Leave that. Leave that to the accountants. But uh, oh no, no, you got to be a. You got to be a. You got to be like a. You know, one of these billionaire guys with their minds, right? And you got to be a Warren Buffett when it comes to. You know, hey, mom and dad, I'll hedge because I'll I'll own some stock in your corporation. You can own some in mine. If uh, soybeans go down this year, we still got potatoes. And then there's the, we'll own some of the neighbors. He's got cows. You know, we'll still eat at the very least. You know, something will be afloat. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. There's Have your own the... little stock market, the farms, the farm market. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly pressure to to, to be that, right? No, yeah. I, I know you. I know you're saying it happened yesterday. <laughs> True, you think of all the elements that you got to keep track of, and now yeah. I still I still feel I'm on the yeah learning end of that curve. But yeah, yeah, and it's probably not a good curve to get into anyway, because farming's farming. Farming's about I think still at heart, it's about self sufficiency. It is. It's really just about. I, I really, you know, now with the markets the way they are and margins being a little tighter than they have been, um, it really is about knowing exactly what your what your cost of production is, which really sounds super basic, but it's something that a lot of farmers don't know well enough, myself included. Mm-hmm. Like I got started in this, I came back to the farm my wife and I did in 2012, and really kind of sunk my teeth in probably 2014-ish. And those times were good. Like, you know, farmers still talk about them being hard, but I mean, margins were were not tight like they are now and you did not need to you know you needed to be aware of your cost of production but not to the detailed degree you should be now like it, it really mm-hmm. is different and uh the and for, older farmers and, and for our fellow suburbians um who who are wondering what input costs go into crops uh can you just describe just very briefly what inputs are yeah, of course. So, so okay. Uh, we have yes. So you, you'll have fertilizer uh, for sure, depending on what you're growing. So some crops, soybeans, don't take a lot of a lot of uh, fertilizer necessarily. Uh, legumes don't. Um, but like canola and wheat, these things are high high fertilizer users. Uh, so you you that's a, that's a big cost, and either you you spend that in fall. Of the season before or a spring so now it'll be spring because last fall weather kind of truncated the season and so we couldn't get our fertilizer in for the next growing season so mm-hmm. that's going to happen now in a few weeks then you have your seed costs uh, which are which are quite quite high you're looking at it can be upwards of 100 100 plus dollars per acre distance seed and then you'll have fuel uh fuel costs um I, I couldn't give you a, a number mm-hmm. on that, but it, it's pretty it's pretty high. Yeah, it's a market value. That's a, that's that's like the when you sell your crop, it rides the market. So does some of your input costs ride the market, like fuel? Then yeah, fuel yeah. fuel. Would, I mean, fertilizer too. You definitely watch. Like you'll yeah. there'll be incentives to buy in fall for okay. spring or or you know before the year end and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you kind of you, you do. And some guys, uh, the bigger the bigger farms will buy their fertilizer mid growing season because they'll find time and time again that it's cheapest then. So if they can yeah. store it, they have a way to store it. They'll, they'll definitely play that, uh, that market as well. So you have, yeah, so you have those things and you have the, uh, you have uh, chemicals, right? So you have a, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, whatever that crop needs are in terms of, in terms of uh, pesticides and herbicides. 
right. you have you have that, and then you know. But the thing is, on any farm like ours included, and what some farmers fail to take into account is, you know, you still you're still heating your house, you're driving mm-hmm. a vehicle that isn't a farm vehicle, but that's ultimately a, you know it's coming out of the farm, and you pay for depreciation on all your equipment, which. Mm-hmm in theory, is supposed to kind of pad you for when you need to replace that machine. But it really doesn't. Like, if, if you, if I needed a new four-wheel drive tractor, like, tomorrow, yeah. and I'm looking at, like, a few hundred thousand dollars easy. And so you have, you know, you're dealing with payments then, and mm-hmm. you're dealing with land, you'll deal with land payments. You'll and, deal with and loan rates too, right? Loan rates, you can, low, yeah, yeah low, loan rates. I mean, there's very few farmers who don't have have land debt. So, yeah, that's that's high. That all kind of chews away at that per. And usually, farmers will have it down to kind of a per acre cost. Mm-hmm. So you'll 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 just chew away at that, and it'll increase kind of what that crop needs to give you uh, in the marketplace. Right. So you know, yeah. Yeah, and then when you're looking yeah. at yeah, and then you're looking at per acre, so you're looking at yield. So how many, you know, you take one one seed, how many seeds does that seed give you now of grain or or whatever the mm-hmm. product is, and then you have to go to the market with. So you get so many bushels, say with. I, I'm not. You still measure by bushel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. no good point. I mean, it depends on what crop you're talking about. If yeah. you're talking about like edible beans, you're gonna you're gonna yield a per pound. Uh, okay. Uh, scale, but but mostly okay. it's bushels like wheat, canola, so it's all yeah. it's all bushels. So you're saying okay, yeah. so we got so many bushels per acre. Our cost per acre is this, and your profit margin comes out of what that bushel is worth on the market. That's that's yeah. correct. So you 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 have kind of an idea of what that field needs to uh, needs to give you, and then you're mm-hmm. dealing with you know the the. The real detailed farmers will have it down to like a penny. Like they'll they'll know exactly. So when the, when the market hits a certain a certain point, and I mean it fluctuates like crazy, as you, right. as you probably know. So the wheat, for instance, can go anywhere from you know four dollars to seven, and all of a sudden you have spikes at nine. Mm-hmm. Well, now nowadays it's been pretty stable, like five, six, seven dollars ish. Well, some people will look at that and say, well, that's, that's really low, but other farmers will say, you know what, that's that's fine. I, I'm actually making at it's at six forty two a bushel for number one hard red spring wheat. I am making one dollar and that's enough for me, so they'll mm-hmm. sell. And I, I think what's happening now is that is the smart approach to to kind of uh, farm marketing is is knowing exactly what you need mm-hmm. out of that price. So it's like a, then, so you're like a stock market guy in 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 that aspect where you're saying, okay, I'm going to buy as low as I can and I'm going to sell as high as I can. And that's the whole, that's the whole game, except you have to, you have to do the farming in between. That's, that's right. So, so now guys are leaning more towards not selling as high as you can, but selling when you make a profit. And so right. as soon as that price gets to a point where you are making Cause money, you have to get it into the marketplace, right? Yeah. yeah. It's wise to sell because, yeah. You know, we know now over the last couple of years that it can go a lot lower. So if you're making money, uh, don't be greedy.
and I guess and you have to store it if you're gonna wait and play the uh, the market to see when the best time to sell is you still have to store all that produce you do you do so you have yeah yeah go ahead no I was just gonna say does there costs involved with that too like just having a grain bin full of grain I mean you don't want it to go bad right so you pay you pay hydro on on aeration for sure and then some guys, I mean, especially with corn, and especially in areas where you're harvesting wet, you are you're running you're running grain dryers. So that there's there's serious costs uh, in that. I, I don't know what they are. We've mm-hmm. never had one on our farm, but uh, well, just, you know, just trying... knowing you need a big machine, like never mind the hydro that that has to power it, but the fact you have to have machinery to run to do that kind of that aspect of work. Yeah, you can just. There's there's somebody there that says, okay, you got to pay this much, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those things run on natural gas or propane, and those those oh, wow. bills are pretty high. So, I uh, yeah, and then transportation costs as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You're hauling hauling grain at the end of the season. You're paying a trucker, or you're paying your own your own fuel. But um, yeah, it it uh, it's pretty it's pretty detail-oriented, and the more detail-oriented you can be as a farmer, I am coming to appreciate the better off you'll be and the better sense, you have a better sense of what of what your operation needs to accomplish in a year. Yeah. Yeah, and I know yeah, there's hard decisions to be made too at certain points. I know we probably got out of grain farming like when I was a kid. It was probably because we were still using combines and swathers. There were still the open... They didn't have cabs even. They were just the open uh, <laughs> concepts. Yeah. And, and even the swather just had levers and the whole bit is a three-wheel thing. And when you look, and our neighbors were starting to get like the first Steiger 4x4 tractors. And, you know, we we're just like, wow, look at that. Jesus, a big green monster and what the heck. And, and, and you know, so probably somebody sat down and said, okay, if I have to replace my combine, my swather, my tractors. We we're using old John Deere D tractors, which I looked up and they're like, really old you know but there but but my stepdad could fix it all like he could keep it running he could make it mm-hmm. operate but there was probably a day when he sat down with a piece of paper and pencil and went well if we have to replace everything you know versus what we make off of and i don't know what we had then maybe two quarter sections of graining it was like you know it's like i think the neighbor can rent the, the land mm-hmm. you know we had oh, some yeah. auctions and stuff and yeah. just and sold everything off but yeah, because it is a it's a big ball to keep rolling, right? It is. It is a big ball to keep rolling. Yeah, and for those farms, like whether it's natural disasters or whatever, where they find themselves mm-hmm. having to kind of make those capital expenditures, like in one lump, uh, some that that'll that's often enough to to end a end a farm for sure. Yeah, and those big. I remember in southeast southwestern Manitoba back is, is that in the nineties, the years of drought followed by the big mm-hmm. rains and. That just mm-hmm. must have been horrible. Like, and people probably had to be on standby. You got to keep your equipment ready in case this year it's going to be a good year. And then, so yeah, you, you know, you got to keep paying those loans, make sure you have have that availability. And then, if it's mm-hmm. another season, you can't get on the land. It's like that's pretty rough. So yeah, no. So so with um, I know it's winter right now, and uh-huh. everybody would say, well, farmers don't do anything in the winter anyway. But spring's coming. I know farmers prep all winter to make sure they're ready to go in the spring. Um, the coronavirus comes along and says, hello, I'm here now. I'm on the scene. And what happens, what happens out there? What happens with you guys and all your, 
all the farmers that are watching the world just stand still even though you know i guess the thing doesn't really touch you guys it's you know the cases are with international travelers who are near airports like in winnipeg so is it is it is there an element of just sur- surrealness to it where you know i i don't even i can't even comprehend it so i'm going to just let you take it up from here <laughs> there is an element of you know it, it's a, it puts me in a weird position not not a bad one i i love i love commenting on it but mm-hmm. you know i can't speak for all farmers but i get the sense that it is kind of just utter resignation. Like I, I got the sense at the end of last growing season that there were so many market conditions and so many conditions that were outside of, of a farmer's control that everybody was collectively just really looking forward to winter and that kind of like freeze up and an opportunity to clean that slate and just start again. Mm-hmm. And with just uh, total blissful ignorance to the 2019 growing season and just willing to just, let's just, Let's do this. We know how to do this. We know how to put a crop in. We're going to do it, and things are going to be better. And then COVID comes, um, and it's an interesting one because, yeah, it's just one more thing. And it's just I, I feel like there's there's some, you know, resignation and there's some tolerance of it uh, uh, on a, on an industry side because I'm connected in both ways. I'm, I'm also kind of aware of what you know, the, all the farm groups are up to right now with, in response to this. And, of course, there was lots of concern over the ability for temporary foreign workers to get across the border still to help some of the larger farms that use those services. And apparently that's, that's, that's all good where, you know, Trudeau's government is letting temporary foreign workers through, which is, which is great for the people who need them. And, um, also inputs. So we get we get fertilizer, we get some fertilizers from the states and we ship to the states some of ours. So there was concern that there would be enough in the kind of collective kitty in Canada to uh, supply farmers across uh, across Canada. And that apparently too has been uh, Fertilizer Canada has come out and said they there will be enough there will be enough for everyone, so we don't need to fret about that. Um, apparently, there's enough seed here as well. So there is a sense that things are going to be okay right now for spring, like for our next move. There is concern that um, the disruptions uh, from the rail blockades from not that long ago to COVID-19 will have more of an effect later on in the growing season and maybe even into next spring. So um, immediately things look uh, okay. Now, from a market perspective, I mean, we entered COVID now with really weak markets. We had the trade embargoes. We have we have kind of a renegotiation of NAFTA. We have, you know, other free trade agreements that kind of have been underutilized and, uh, and uh, kind of weak, weak, Prices, China, you know, refusing to buy uh, certain things from from us, and uh, you know, those, of course, the Huawei debacle, which I you know, won't weigh in on. But but it's uh, it's all it was all there before, and none of that has gone resolved. So it, it's still there. And so how COVID nineteen affects commodity prices and the market, it would be naive to say well, because it's 
it's, it'll have trickle down effects to you know, the most granular levels. But but uh, yeah, that's just, that's kind of it in a in a nutshell. The, the industry is 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 on it. Like we, you know, lobbying Trudeau's government for for certain things, whether it's increased borrowing power or better business risk management programming to uh, to aid farmers who are going to have a tough time. But uh, yeah, there's definitely uh, there's definitely a heightened uh, heightened awareness of, of the possibility. Okay, so of all the house of cards of our our cultural and and uh, economic systems that we've built up, this COVID's like it's it's flicking really hard at one of the bottom cards, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I would say. I mean, I, I would say you see the stock market crash. You see, you see these kinds of things. I mean, that's that's that'll have that'll be it will be disruptive. I mean, I think in the next few weeks, as these farms wake up, as our farm wakes up, we'll still be able to uh, seed. And I mean, we can self-isolate here. I live in a 13-acre yard. Uh, mm-hmm. That that's not an issue. But uh, yeah, it, you know. Jury is really out. I, I, I do not know how this will affect things. And that's the other thing, right? I mean, farmers are used to weather. They're used to not knowing what the weather is going to do, and they're used to operating kind of in that, in that environment. But last year taught us that really any kind of reason that we forced it onto the marketplace wasn't really applicable because that the market just did crazy things. Like the moves were... Nuts. No one could foresee China's embargo, Trump's, you know, missteps and tweets and 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 stuff. No one predicted that. So he he hasn't done anything wrong. <laughs> and even if he did, he won't. He's not responsible. Don't you listen to no. the news? <laughs> I know. I know exactly. He doesn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And his, his his communications are brilliant. Apparently, that's what, that's what I keep hearing. You just gotta dig your heels in. I listened to a, a book a guy recently put together of his tweets, and it was a poet that put them together. And he said, "Believe it or not, he speaks in poetry." And uh, so, so go look that book up. It's fascinating. I I, I remember seeing that book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you know it's one of those things. But now you just have you have so many like, you know non-tariff trade barriers, and you have you have this just this environment of things you just can't mm-hmm. control so i think there's a sense where you just kind of pull back mm-hmm. and you do the thing that you know how to do like you know how to go out there you know how to see the crop you know i think farmers are looking forward to that yeah and i, I yeah. think just the last thing i'll say on politics is people work so hard to get elected and it's almost a be careful of what you wish for situation because oh, things can yeah. go really good for years at a time, and then sometimes they just pile up. And uh, and there's probably a lot of people in there with their head in their hands, just going, "What? What? Like, just what? You know, what's going to happen? Yeah. What? What should yeah, we do? Yeah. What shouldn't we do? Etc." So okay. on the um on the moving forward, like not moving forward, because I guess we're still, like you say, evaluating, seeing what the you know the situations are and how they're going to manifest themselves. But what what kind of thoughts go through uh, the typical farmer's head, like yours or other people you've talked to? Just the thoughts of what what kind of things um, you know the farming community might look at trying to accomplish over the next you know short term or mid term or even some long term goals as far as you know the interaction with you know the responsibility to feed the world is that 
you know, was it ever realistic? Um, you know, what is a rot upon the farming community uh, and how, how the farming community might change moving forward as a result of, of what's happening? Yeah, good, good question. I mean, I think some of the things that, that kind of got kick-started following the 2019 drilling season was for kind of ag, Canada's ag sector to, to really work at developing uh, kind of a more diverse portfolio of trade partners. Um, one of the things I kept hearing was that we have all these free trade agreements in place with various parts of the world but are highly underutilized. We've relied a lot on, on China and, and, you know, we're learning that that probably wasn't the best, uh, the best, uh, smartest decision. So I think, I think that push will continue. I think, um, I think that's something we really, the, the farming community really wants to get a, get a hold of. Um, yeah. And then going forward, you know, feeding the world, kind of keep that dialogue open with the public. I mean, public trust and social license is such a big part of agriculture and, and getting the word out about what, what farmers do. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly opinionated person when it comes to stuff like that. Like, I, I really think there's a good way to do it and a, and a wrong way to do it. I think, uh, I think we need to get our lawmakers, our legislators kind of more excited about ag in Canada than, than they have been. And that's not pointing fingers at any specific government. Yeah. I think hey, you, that, know, you know, just on that thought right there, Yeah. Um, we talk about this a lot, like growing up on the farm, doing a lot of different aspects of, of farming, whether it's with animals or grains and stuff. And I think the disconnect that I've come to is farming is work. And it's not a lot of highfalutin ideas, ideology and thoughts and whatever. It's about getting up in the morning, putting your boots on, picking up a shovel, getting in a tractor, you know, slopping pigs, whatever it is, milking cows, like doing the actual work. And mm-hmm. and city life is going to a job where, mm-hmm. you know, there's you might be able to watch the clock for a while. You might have some a lot of paperwork to do. You might have a lot of calls to make. You know, there, you might be under certain pressures and stuff. But, you know, you can always just sit back, put your feet up and, and whatever. But with farming, it's all about, you know, if you have a kitchen garden as well, I'm sure you guys do, it needs to be planted, it needs to be weeded, it needs to be maybe watered through, and then it has to be taken off the same way as any crop. And it's, it's certainly, you know, it's just, a, it's really busy work and it's a busy life. And I think the disconnect is like, well, I don't see the guy doing it. So I don't, you know, farmers, whatever, I'm in the city, I'm going to the gym now, or I got my, you know, mm-hmm. podcast to make, or I got a, yeah. you know, think about what I'm going to go Safeway and get for dinner. And, and a, and a farmer is out there thinking, I just don't have time to talk to you guys anyway. I can't think about you because I'm doing this other stuff. <laughs> there, there's that, that you, you nail on the head. It's true. I mean, like I, a lot of farmers don't have time for this public trust social license thing because also there's an element. I mean, I mean, I'm in this boat too. I don't want to paint anyone else with that brush. Like, kind of what, you know, to one, in one sense, why do I need it? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you, you need it. You, you need it when, when all of a sudden you have you have regulators who are all of a sudden coming to the picture and saying, well, we're going to take this tool away from you, say glyphosate or whatever it is. 
because of what we what we think we know about it. And I said, well, you don't. That's not how we use it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so th- then the, those disconnects highlight the importance of transparency on both sides. Um, but you know, and I, and I engage in that space with my column for sure in public trust. So I, I shouldn't say I, I do. I do like it, but it has to be done properly. I don't like what you see a lot of is is kind of. Uh, the industry relying on influencers to um, ag influencers to show kind of how amazing farms are and what they're doing for the world and I and I I'm yeah. you know I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a serial skeptic cynic uh, yeah. philosophy major like I, this is I, I, the other I, word the other word for that is realist yeah well right and I, I don't I don't like it because yeah. it's not like we don't. I think there's a need to educate, sure, but edu- even educating sounds patronizing. I, I mm. think, I think uh, it, it, we have to find we find that well, people, way, and we can. People have to experience cool. it. I, I believe to understand yeah. a city person, you got to experience living in a city. To understand farmers and farming, you got to experience. You got to go out there and say, "Okay, take me around with you. I'll I'll do stuff. Give me stuff to do." You know, and and yeah, after totally. after two or three weeks, even you're like, "Oh, you know." This is this is what this is all about. Yeah, and we're not like we're not above reproach. We could all of us could be better. All of us could do a better job at what we're doing. You know, we talk oh. about carbon sequestration and and just like land stewardship as though we are the authorities in these things. It's like, well, yeah, some of us are okay at it, but a lot oh. of us kind of just took over farms and are doing things that we don't really even know why. We're yeah. doing them. Like, well, and there used to, what, probably where you are, there used to be tall grass, all kinds of prairie fescue. Of course. There used to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 15-foot roots down into the ground holding everything together. And then that that's all been disturbed long before you went, you, you, you even looked outside and went, oh, that's a field as a kid, like a wee one. And, you mm-hmm. know, that, that was all disrupted long ago. So, oh, you know, absolutely. There's absolutely. only there's one place interestingly near Oak Bank or Oak Lake. Um, I talked to. They're naturally Manitoba. They raise uh, beef and 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 uh, 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 pasture pig pork, uh, the pigs and stuff. And their their piece of land was never dug up. Was well, that right? Ever? Yeah. So it's on the uh, west side of Oak Lake, just south of Verdon, and they have a I don't know about seven square miles in there that they graze their cattle over, and they're really into the land stewardship, but it's all native prairie grassland. So, hmm. but yeah, I mean, just hearing you say, what, really? <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's how little of it is left. And it's, I mean, yeah, cultiv- cultivation has happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So yeah, yeah that, that story isn't so cut and dry, but you, you're right. Like, and I, what, what I don't like also is that the, the egg sector has uh, a problem with, with hating cities. And I, I, I've never liked that because I've, I, I, my wife and I have lived in, you know, Toronto, lived in Winnipeg, and I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have not, I have nothing negative to say about living in cities. I think, I think it's fantastic. You just have to have time to do it. Yeah. But, and that's where farming goes. Well, maybe I can live in the city for maybe two months in the winter, but I got to get back out here and, and make sure my gear is ready. And then all summer you're just busy. And uh, yeah. it's like, that's why we don't have any politicians, full-time politicians who are farmers because they don't have time. That's right. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and that's when you start hating everybody else. It's like, well, if you guys are all going to go and sit around and make decisions for us, but you don't really know what we do because you're not doing it. Yeah. Then you don't really know what the situation and the trends and the, the activity on the ground is. You're just talking to us. And then you're talking to a lot of us with different viewpoints, but you don't really have any of your own. You may have been a farmer, but those mm-hmm. conditions are those conditions from the time you were doing it. So I think there's a huge disconnect between, you know, like farmers are just like, look, I'm the one out there doing it. Like, leave me alone. Just yeah. give me a fair price. That's all I want. And, yeah. and everybody else is into meddling because, well, we got time on our hands. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, true. And it's, yeah, it's a, wor- it's a world lot of people, like you said, unless you have experience with it, it's really hard to understand. I mean, it's hard to understand even when you do have experience with it. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Wow. Okay. Um, any other, any, how do, how you, how do you plan to fix all this then? What's your, <laughs> do, you <have> any, <laughs> do you have your, uh, your big whiteboard and your, in your den all planned out, uh, the good ideas? I do, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be the one to fix all this, but like, I, I think, I do think about it. I mean, it's, the agricultural landscape is a very, it's very busy. So not, I'm not talking, farmers here, I'm talking like ag groups. There are so many groups representing farmers in Canada that um, it's a really complicated space and a lot of them are knocking at Ottawa's door uh, hoping to get some time with the MP or, you know, uh, Minister Beauvau and, and, you know, there's lots. It's busy, so everyone's trying to kind of, everyone has their own messaging. So the, the farmers are not, they do not have a united message in ottawa and that's and that's a bit of a that's a bit of an issue basically the only things that come often get so diluted because it has to pass through so many levels of of boards and local provincial national groups until you get something so sterile and kind of impotent you know you come to ottawa with these things and it's kind of like yeah yeah i mean okay but not great. I, I think I think there's lots of work to be done there in terms of streamlining agricultural messaging and 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 getting that system working a little bit more efficiently. And what do you think about um, people getting back onto small holdings and maybe having a mixed farm where they can be more, you know, their food their food source is more. Um, controlled by the individual um you know if you if you're on chickens you have eggs you have chicken um you know chickens you can have for meat uh turkeys things like that you can grow through the summer maybe some pigs you can have your own your own bacon and your own hams uh milks a couple cows you have milk um you know the beef you have a steer or something and then maybe you you big gardens and and maybe you take part in trying to grow some uh you know small amounts of crops maybe 80 acres or something is that is that true? Is that something that we could look at as a as a possible future where we can repopulate a lot of the uh, rural areas, or is that something that just at this point is probably everybody thinks that's a that's some kind of pipe dream? I don't know. I think probably if you'd have asked me that two years ago or three years ago, I would have said kind of more on the pipe dream end. But probably um, kind of a growing appetite towards that kind of. Uh, that kind of uh, that kind of farming, I think you say hobby farming, but I don't know if it, that is. But you have 
you do have people moving out. Um, well, they, they call it hobby farming now. Um, and I, and I was always laughing because everybody says, oh, we got to do the 100-mile diet. Very important, very morally uh, justifiable. We got to do the 100, support local, blah, blah, blah. And yes, absolutely. That's why people grow the stuff locally and sell it. But when I was a kid on the farm, it was the 100-foot diet. Our meat, our vegetables, yeah. our, everything was within 100 feet of our house. And mm-hmm. it ended up in the, in the, down in the cold cellar, uh, you know, or the pantry. And that's what we lived on all winter. So it, it would, then it was a 10 foot diet. You know? yeah. like, like, I mean, I, I won't, I won't lie though. That, you know, since COVID and stuff, you know, grocery stores, you know, panic and blah, blah, blah. I do, I do think about my neighbors. My neighbors have a few cows and I'm like, Oh, that'd be kind of neat. Right. You, you'd have that, you'd have that additional security. You know, you'd have, you'd have some beef if you, if you, uh, if you yeah. absolutely needed it. So I'm guessing if I'm thinking that others are too, and that there might be, it might be kind of an increase in that, in that yeah. sort of, uh, cause we did it on 20 acres. Like our actual home, the homestead area was 20 acres. It had a, a slough and a dugout as well and a, and a pasture and whatnot. But a lot of these, I look on, like I'll look on a map of Manitoba rural areas and you'll see where people, you know, because there's been a digression in, um, the amount of uh, farms that are active right now because of people leaving and the consolidations. But you, you start looking around and you see viable little, um, the, the old homesteads, the old five acres, mm-hmm. 10 acres, 20 acres mm-hmm. that aren't being farmed right now. Like you can see the field does not go through that area. They haven't broken it up. And I was, I, I just kept thinking like there must be some kind of plan where you can say, look, um, instead of making the farmer go through the whole process of, of doing the variance or the, uh, you know, breaking off that little piece of land for their ownership or, or even to lease it or whatever that, you know, the government might want to look at that and just say, you know what, we have too many people concentrated in areas and here's a, here's an impetus to go live rurally, do your own, you know, sustenance farming and create jobs in the, in the smaller towns or villages again. So you can, you know, with the internet everywhere, it's, it's like, you know, a lot of coders, people's and, could could have that life because it really didn't you know you do your morning chores your, your evening afternoon chores and you know some some days you do other jobs that you have to take care of that infrastructure but otherwise you know there, there's a lot of free time involved with that lifestyle mm-hmm. yeah no a lot, yeah for sure very very it can be very peaceful and coders yeah. uh, you know it's computer workers in general were notorious for having to sit for long hours and it's nice to have something that makes you get up and move around so no absolutely keeping your pigs alive it falls in that category i think uh-huh yeah 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 no no i can i can see that increasing i know a lot of people have bought uh kind of small acreages in the kind of interlake of just north of winnipeg uh, land is a bit cheaper there and some of those spaces need need people they need people to uh occupy them so i mean it it's very region specific. So if you think here, for instance, around me, I, I don't know if there'd be many yards that would be available or like land that would you'd be able to buy and, and kind of carve out. But there are pockets of Manitoba where that, that works and mm-hmm. people are starting to do that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, great. Okay. I'm not, I'm not alone in this <laughs> notion. Okay. That's good. No, news. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, with the COVID thing, the coronavirus and all that, it's it's sort of keeping us apart, but it might bring us closer together in the end, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for, for this chat because um, I've been trying to reach out to 
to rural areas. Now I'm finally getting some contacts. Um, so, oh, tell everybody why why your name is Tobin. Oh, did, did I discuss this with you at one point? I think we texted about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm named after former Manitoba Premier Ed Schreier's son, who whose name is Tobin. So he must have been. I think he's a a little older than me, and so my parents, uh, they liked that name and, and named me Tobin, so it's spelled T-O-B-A-N, which is, I think, exactly how he spells his. Um, I think I think Tobin Schreier is a bit of a colorful, has a color, bit of a colorful history, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not fair. Yeah. yeah. Was, it, was Ed Schreier, was he a PC or liberal or NDP? What was he? Ooh, I, I think PC, but I should... Because I'm just wondering which half of my audience I just lost by bringing him up. <laughs> yeah, he was a uh, right exactly. He was a PC. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to work on the liberals now. Sorry, sorry, liberals yeah. and NDPers. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I see what you've been writing here, but uh, have people been reading? <laughs> <laughs> what what have I what have I written? Oh, just about the um, the agricultural community and. Um, our attitudes towards, you know, should we be eating our own food? Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 way the media is silencing, like not really bringing a voice or, or letting people know where their food comes from. Right, right, right. Yeah. That was that was that a Financial Post column? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a while ago, man. I you know it's it's funny. I like um, I uh, so. With this whole COVID thing, the post was, can we, you know, can during this pandemic, can we reduce your column to, you know, once a month? I mean, I'm, I said fine. I mean, I, I totally expected actually to just get cut entirely. So I was like, great. Mm-hmm. But I actually haven't landed up writing in the last month and a half. I don't think I've written a thing. So that would have been the last one I last one I wrote. Now, now I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to get back into it after kind of just, you know, totally having a month and a half of not doing a ton of writing um and uh now thinking about what would i write about uh the ag industry today is is a is a difficult is a difficult thing process especially when you haven't been in it for a little while or haven't been writing for a little while but uh yeah yeah. so by not writing i guess a a tree didn't fall in the forest and nobody nobody cared (laughs) or heard it yeah, well, that's just it, right? So it's just—it's not a, you know, it's not a big deal. The post isn't isn't asking me for anything because I mean I'm sure they're just happy not to have to pay, you know, more, you know, more freelance content and and stuff. So I'll get back into it just so that I'm not completely forgotten yeah. in the in the universe. But uh, but but does anybody also, care? I guess they're not. No, it's like you you wrote about a long time ago how the media isn't really telling people about ag anyway. No, so they don't no. like by not having you write anything that's just more of the same. Yeah, I, I, and that's an interesting one because I also feel like when I start writing again, they'll be they'll be receptive and happy for the content. Uh, so there's there's that, but also yeah, they aren't knocking down my door saying, "Hey, you know, we really want comment on some of these things. Um, can you provide it?" Uh, yeah, no. No, none of that. But yeah. I don't know with the media landscape now with the COVID. Anyway, are they are they are they chasing stuff with any freelancers right now? I I, I don't know. 
Yeah, if it doesn't start with Trump, then they probably aren't interested. Yeah, that's right. It kind of has to be just on like this super, super sexy. And I think, you know, I think with ag, like in the beginning of the of the pandemic, there was a lot to discuss because of fears around, you know, uh, supply chains and and it, there being enough food for everybody in Canada. And you know, yeah. there's kind of a barrage of articles saying, yes, there will be, and you should have confidence in that. And and I think consumers are now comfortable. No, they're, they're comfortable. They're, they are confident now because they yeah. go to the grocery store, they see food and, and, uh, yeah. and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. When they don't see food, they kind of panic and say, Hey, hey grow it faster. Get it over here. You that's know, right. That's it... right. We need to fix things. We need to fix things. But then as soon as, it's, yeah. as soon as they have, uh, their, 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 cl- <laughs> their, uh, shelves are stocked, then it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. They're chewing on a sandwich <laughs> and yeah, who cares? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boy. How yeah, fickle. How fickle yeah. people are. Exactly. So, okay, so now that we know nobody over there's listening. Mm-hmm. Great. What, let's what, talk about it. Yeah, yeah let's talk about stuff. <laughs> real conversation. What's um what's this landscape like uh in rural Manitoba overall, do you think? What kind of summer has it been? So, I can speak to my farm um it's been great uh we've had uh we've had fantastic moisture um i mean right this very second we could use more uh, mm-hmm. you know things are things are starting to dry up a little bit and this is kind of a critical point actually in the growing season where you know you get you get good rains through through july um some key ones in june but it's really those kind of those finishing rains so mm-hmm. if you don't you need those late, those those august rains to just push that crop to kind of its full potential, and if you if they don't get it, if they don't get those key rains, then often they'll they'll shut down early. I mean, wheat wheat's been brought to full potential already. They, it has what it needs, so it's starting to ripen, and we'll be harvesting probably with inside of two weeks uh, from today. We'll be harvesting our wheat now. Some of the legumes like my edible beans like my black beans and our soybeans and uh even canola to some degree uh, could use another shot of uh of uh of moisture for sure but to answer your question no it's been it's been a great year we've uh you know we some of the big storms that have rolled through have have missed us so we haven't gotten the, the deluges that other areas of manitoba have gotten mm-hmm. um so uh so there's that to be thankful for and hail also hasn't hasn't affected us so so no we're we're uh we're in a good position so what what else is going on what else uh anything interesting happening out there oh boy yeah. we'll just remind people where what area you're in in the general region yeah so we're in like uh, we farm in in southern manitoba about an hour and a half or so south of uh, winnipeg near winkler um yeah our our grain farm this year we're growing wheat canola Soybeans and uh, edible beans. So our first year growing okay. edible beans, black beans. And they're, uh, you know, my wife and I decided to do that just because it's um, it's kind of an interesting crop, kind of novel. Uh, definitely more uh, work to grow, uh, more restrictions on what you can uh, what you can spray uh, because it's basically a crop that you harvest and is just 
delivered to the grocery store. It's it's like no processing. Ready to consume. Yeah. yeah. So like when you when you when you sell this, uh, it gets graded basically on a visual. They all like, <laughs> you know, essentially just put their hands in, take out a sample, and like, okay, would a consumer right. buy these beans? Do they look like black beans? So yeah, it's an interesting crop that way. I've I have in my years back in the farm have never grown them. My dad grew them probably 15, 20 years ago. Uh, so uh, right now, knock on wood, they look they look fantastic. There's some huge pods on them that are ready to fill out. And this is kind of that critical time, like I said earlier, where if we can get, you know, if we can get a nice inch of rain within the next, you know, uh, week, that would be, that would be amazing. That would do almost kind of everything that that uh, that is required and what do you have to do to process those they have to come out of the shell i guess right yeah so it's, it's delicate i mean it, it is it is also crude like you you can you we use our big our big combine to to uh to harvest them so yeah they get they get shelled in, in that threshed out and uh and then after that you try to use conveyors as much as possible you you don't use augers because mm-hmm. i could crack the seeds or or, or damage them, damage their appearance. And then, yeah, some of this is going to be a learning curve for me. So I, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but handle them with kid gloves throughout the process. And then hopefully at the end of the day, uh, at the, in the grading process, they, uh, they, they, they pass, they pass the test. And then, and then from there, I, I think it's basically just, I mean, the, these, these companies were growing, were growing these for Western bean, which used to be schooler. Uh, so I think from then they take them, they'll take them and probably run them through a sieve or, or a filter of sorts. And yeah, I think from there, it's basically to this nice. to packaging. We're growing, we're growing corn this year. Oh, are you? Nice. And our little, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a very small aspect of our postage stamp backyard in Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> how's your, how's your corn looking? It's coming along. The ears are, uh, they're developing and, uh, they've been getting watered regularly. So. Nice. Uh, they all leaned over once in the big, big wind we had. We had about maybe three weeks ago, something like that. Big, big winds came yep. through with one of these potential storms, and they all leaned over. The whole thing had, it looked like a fence that had just sort of like a snow fence that just all leaned. And um, I realized they hadn't broken, so I just really? just lifted them all back up and used bamboo stakes and put them back up. And yeah, they just kept going. <laughs> so. Ah. So I was like, hey, that's awesome. You must be close to harvest then. Like that, uh, people are harvesting sweet corn already. Yeah, the trouble is um, the place, the only place I could put them, it's, it doesn't get like a full day of sun. So we get about a half day of sun. So, mm, I see. so you know, parts of the, the beauty of living in, in uh, urban surroundings. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But it was, it brought me back. I think it's, it's you know, it's part of reconnecting and, and doing those things that look, that look cool and you can actually eat. Yeah, well, it it is it is fun. I mean, we like our garden here in the farm could be massive. It's not it's not massive, but we you know it's fun to harvest cucumbers and fresh tomatoes and lettuce and and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it tastes so good in like right when it's when when it's in season and you're just you know almost eating it off the vine. So yeah, we do little uh, grape tomatoes and um, is that they call them that size? Oh, nice. Yeah, little little guys. And uh, yeah. yeah, we do a bunch of herbs out, out back in containers and that too. And I do hot peppers just for fun. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Um, yes, we, we just like to have something to 
to touch and to grow and to you know enjoy yeah yeah no that's uh that's awesome okay well thanks tobin um good luck with with your beans save a bag for me we'll try them out i will we'll put them in a chili or something i'll bring you a cob of corn and uh, oh, perfect perfect it's a good trade i like it <laughs> okay so now you know we all know tobin named after the province in a roundabout way but in a great way it pays homage to a person and people used to be named after people that their parents respected that used to happen a lot and i'm not sure if it happens so much now but that's how names carry through or you know can generate new traditions in a family i know some families skip generations but they go back to their grandparents generation or further to carry out uh, naming traditions sometimes last names become first names and first names become last names or middle names i don't know if they become last names i guess you could why not change your name (laughs) it's easy as that and uh yeah so there you go anyway thank you for listening my name is mahangel and this name of this podcast is the manitobaville podcast and uh, we just want to invite you to send us any notes you can think of. Visit manitobaville.ca, look up Manitobaville on any of the big three socials, and also in your podcatcher of choice. Subscribe, follow, rate, review, all that good stuff. It helps other people find us. And tell your friends anywhere in the world. We're worldwide. Anyway, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time with another interesting interview. And, um, yeah, I hope it's, uh, I hope it's meeting your, your quota of interesting stuff. New podcasts coming up all the time. We will be in touch. So thank you for listening. This is the Mantoville podcast, copyright 2022 by Rodeo Road Studios. (laughs) 